All right, let's do this. How are you, what the fuckers, what the fuck buddies, what the fuckadelics, what the fucking ears, what the fuck nicks, what the fuck O'Berry thins, what the fuck minister fullers. This is Mark Marin. This is WTF. Karen Kilgariff is on the show today, and in a couple of minutes, Bob Saget's going to drop by. What do you make of that? How do you feel about that? He's got a thing coming out, and you know, I like Bob. So I'm going to talk to Bob Saget for a while. Who doesn't want to talk to Bob Saget for a few minutes? Are you kidding me? Where's his new book? Where's his new book? I think it's called Dirty Daddy. Where is it? Uh, I always like talking to Saget. So he'll come by in a minute. Yeah. You're expecting a pal there. I didn't do it. I do still have a a brand. I do still work with Just Coffee. If you do go to justcoffee.com and get the WTF blend, uh, which is very dark and... uh, It'll get you jacked. I didn't even tell you guys about last weekend at the bar mitzvah. As some of you know from uh, you know knowing me for a long time, uh, my family's, uh, my brother's kids' bar mitzvahs can be a little bit dicey because, let me explain it to you. All right, so my brother and his first wife are divorced, okay? And, uh, and his current wife uh, has four kids and he has three kids and their exes are now married to each other. So there's that excitement. That stuff sort of leveled off. Now, my first wife is best friends with my brother's first wife. So she's there with her husband and their new baby. And my ex-in-laws are there who I still have not made an appropriate amends to for some reason. I feel like I should say, look, I'm sorry I I caused you trouble, but I haven't. So there's that tension. Then my mother, she is with another man and my father is with a woman and my father and I, as of last week, are not speaking. So, and my mother showed up with her sister who likes to have a few cocktails. So that is the the basic, you know, the basic soup of dysfunction. The, I'm going to use the word vortex again that I walked into. And usually I have a, a little more confidence and I can rise above things. But the fact that my father and I, you know, aren't speaking and he's, uh, he, you know, it, whatever. I, I don't know if that's ever going to come back around. You know, that's a little difficult for a man of 50 when his, uh, you know, 75-year-old, 76-year-old father wants to kick his ass. Uh, it's a little tricky. And then I, I enter Moon, who goes with me. And so, like, I can't, it's not like, this is going to be great. You're going to meet my family. It's more like, oh, my God, you're going to know exactly why I am the way I am. And to be quite honest with you, I'm a little ashamed and I'm a little embarrassed. But now you're going to know it all. And it was rough, man. It was emotionally difficult because what we're there for is to celebrate the bar mitzvah. This kid who's got no fucking idea about any of this. None of this has polluted his young brain yet. He may feel the toxicity, but he doesn't know it. He just wants to go, you know, play with snakes. And that's what we it was. It was interesting because, you know, I had to do a little bar mitzvah toast to, to him. And I did some research on rites of passage. And yeah, the Jews got it easy. You just got to read in a language you don't understand, you know, as as well as you can, you know, for the duration of the thing, which is, you know, one night, maybe two nights, a few, you know, probably all, all in about 45 minutes to an hour of reading an arcane tongue and singing melodies in it and uh, figuring that out. That's a small price to pay. Some cultures send the kid out into the wilderness for six months, and if he doesn't die and he comes back, then he gets the big payoff. Then he gets the Israel bond. 
Uh, there, there are some cultures where you got to put your hands in a in a mitten full of, of stinging ants and just uh, live through the immense pain of that. That's easier. And after that, here you go. Here's uh, here's some gold coins. Uh, or there, there's a, another culture where d- kids just beat the shit out of each other, and the winner, the winner gets a check from grandma. So in the big picture, looking at other tribal traditions, the Jews have it kind of easy in the way that, look, just read this. You're not going to understand it. And uh, you're not even really a man, but, you know, there you go. But my uh, my my nephew uh, wanted to have his party. They had this party at some sort of reptile uh, refuge. So you drive out into the desert to this refuge where they had a buffet meal. And if you got there before uh sunset you get to tour the grounds and they had fucking alligators and crocodiles they had like 50 of the most venomous snakes in the world they had every lizard you can imagine all in relatively natural environments and for some reason because it was nightfall everything was active all these animals are they nocturnal i don't know but have you ever looked right at a cobra when it's doing its cobra thing so this was the gift of the bar mitzvah had all this family toxicity but you know what I had no cage to protect myself against that. And later that night, after all of that garbage went down, I got to look right in the face of a cobra, you know, arching up, spitting his tongue at me. And there was a nice thick piece of glass between me and that cobra. And I was able to say, you can't hurt me and I'm going to stay right here looking at you. That was not something I could do with my father. Hey, look, can we talk to Bob Saget now? Can we, can we, can I bring Saget in here? All right. The truth of it is you look better than you ever looked. I, yeah, thank God. You have more positiveness than you ever had. Well, I think that, that there was a genuine sense of self-esteem and validation that happened because of this. Yeah. You know, like, well, whatever the hell I was missing just from putting all the work in happened. It doesn't happen for everybody. That's the weirdest thing and, about comedy. And, it if, doesn't, you, and uh, if you have a kind heart, yeah. you don't respond to it like I did when... But I wasn't doing fully connected work. I was hosting a thing yeah, yeah. where people got hit in the nuts and it was yeah. on video. That won't. That helps the id. The id is very... Uh, good evening and welcome to America's idiot id videos. <laughs> idiot id video. Yeah, the id is an idiot, so that's, uh, that's... But isn't that interesting, though, that even though you you made a fortune doing that and you were doing all that stuff, that it's not that satisfying. It was unsatisfying. Ugh. But what was satisfying was I provided, as people say, a very nice house. Yeah. I mean, this is where I was when you started your yeah. podcast. Yes, you were sitting right there. I haven't been here since. Yeah. And you have one person and you don't go back, do you? Not usually. I, I don't it's know. so smart. It's so cool. Yeah. I mean, I think there are some people that I think can be revisited because their lives have changed so dramatically. But uh, but usually I don't. Sometimes I'll do, you know, on live ones or, you know, but I, you know, if a friend you know wants to, to sell a book. And it's about death and comedy. I mean, it's, well, it's, the, the interesting thing about you is like, you know, when we talked the last time a couple of years ago, we talked about, uh, you know, your sister and your involvement with charities and, yeah. and you know, you still have this. The, the interesting thing to me is that you have these things hanging over you, America's Funniest Home Videos and the, and, the, and, and the other show. I run from them all day. They're just floating above but like it was some a, bad CGI thing. I know, but, but, but there was some conscious decision that when you knew that people followed you from that and the, uh, what was the other one called? Uh, uh, Full House. That's cursing to me to say the name of that show. Right. And but, I, but, by the way, I have love for both of them, so that's a weird, No, I get it. That's but, a lot of therapy But there also. was a time after you made your money and you were, you know, you were out of the, the woods on those things where you went on stage and just set to, to reestablish, you know, Bob Saget is Bob Saget. It's like, I'm glad you like that guy, but you were wrong. 
Uh, but here's his reaction to that guy. Yeah. Yeah, yeah exactly. But exactly. what I would have loved to have seen you do a job that you would go, should I take this? And someone said, just take it. And yeah. you would have wound up on something. Maybe you would have hosted something. Right. I mean, Tosh has an edge to him, and he hasn't really lost himself. And well, he, he, de- he defines that show anyway. Exactly. Yeah. He redefined how a contemporary person that's a comedian that's smart right. does a blooper show. Right. Mine was 7 o'clock on a Sunday night. On ABC for 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 grownups with morals. For, are they going to say for grownups with morons living in their home? But it is morals because you cut before the old person hits the cement. You know they always cut before that horrible. You never say who died in these videos. There's no Zabruder footage. They 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 get out uh, yeah. and then they cut to the audience and their head snapping. Back. Yeah, but but and it's not uh, something I would do now. But it's. I, there, do you have regrets? Do you have any regrets before you started this podcast, yeah. before your life changed? I think I did at some point because, you know, I felt like I missed opportunities. But as I get older, I realize now that I clearly wasn't ready for those opportunities. Uh, and I and, and the ones I pursued and I got, I don't think I was a full person as a comic or as a human but, until recently. And that's recently. just the timeline of life. That's right. Because some right. people are really lucky. And at 23, they have a, a wisdom and you go, holy fuck, how did they get that? Or good, an actualized, an actual talent they know what yeah. to do with their talent but then b- being able to be a human and have yeah, all right. that talent can be a very complex and then you can still self-destruct Truct- but, tricky. But, but you have so much inner intelligence anyway you could have had it but probably my guess would be be miserable throughout it but like when i hosted my first tv show on comedy central i was hosting short attention span theater the last version of it and i hated every minute of it but i learned you know skills <laughs> that i could that I, I would never but i was completely uncomfortable because it's like this isn't what i do hey we're back yeah. you know like this well, fucking blows this next clip is i funny. have my mfa in that <laughs> hey here's here's you know how kids go to parties sometimes yeah. and they learn to speak? Yeah. Let's watch that. And then as soon as you go to the camera, the camera goes up, you're like, oh, what the fuck am I doing? They have footage of me doing that. Oh, really? Yeah. They have footage of me like naked gun. I, it's in the book, actually. Yeah. I walked into the bathroom. It's I think it's a chapter, things I shouldn't have done. It's very much like when Leslie Nielsen was, uh, you know, <clears throat> dropped the yeah. mic in the toilet. Yeah. I went into the bathroom after America's Funny Some Videos shooting, and I just went in during it. Yeah. And I went, this is the worst fucking audience. And the guy next to me, yeah, man, what is it? I go, I don't know. You know, sometimes it happens. And I walked back into the studio and a young girl said, we heard everything you just said. Because your mic was on? Yeah, but I told the guy to turn the mic off. And it turns out they had the monitors on. Oh, okay. So just the TV, just the audience monitors. And then I, my retort to her was, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. We say that every show. Yeah. Because oh, that's our thing. Yeah. You know, yeah, that's right. just love. Sorry about the, the cursing, ladies and gentlemen. Did, did you walk out and see just a room full of shocked faces? It was, uh, they don't even listen. I think they're all numb when they get there. They waited so long to get in there. Yeah. And they I were- mean, it's almost... I barely remember that that even happened because my life is so different now. I didn't realize that this was your first book, Dirty Daddy, The Chronicles of a Family Man Turned Filthy Comedian. This is the first one. There is. There was a picture book. It is. I, I did a, a picture book, I don't know, 25 years ago with Tony Hendra. Oh, from uh, called, National Lampoon? Yeah, from, yeah, called Tales from the Crib. And yeah. it was just pictures of kids and captions. I don't think that's a book. <laughs> <laughs> is, it still, is it still around? I don't think so. It's one of those things where I have all the copies. What drove you to write this? I mean, what was it like? Because, you know, you're doing okay. You probably got time on your hands. Did you just say, like, there's shit I got to talk about? What's interesting, I... It really came out of show business. There were agents. I had former agents that yes. I left. They had an idea for a book. I didn't like it. Yeah. So it was gimmicky. It was yeah. sticky. And then I went to different agents, and they said, people really want kind of a memoirs comedy book out of you. Mm-hmm. I said, well, that's going to be all about death, because I lost two sisters. I lost four uncles. Everybody was really young when mm-hmm. they died. 
And um, I, I wrote like 13,000 words. I gave it to my agents, and then I got six offers. I met with everybody that in New York, and yeah. it was like really nice. It was yeah. where you go there, and everybody goes, we want to... We want to be in business. Bidding war. Yeah, which I, it's nice to have. Yeah. And uh, I chose a guy I really liked, um, and we're living together now. That's very, congratulations. Great, great. Are you we, getting married? I don't know. We've got this uh, inflatable calf that we both share, and we have sex with it. That's nice. But we don't make eye contact. Is that so in the book, nothing. or is that the next book? No, I'm just telling you. Oh, okay, thanks, This is just for you. I wanted something <laughs> special just for this. But it's, uh, I don't know about a next book. I, I'm literally like, my hands, I was like adaptation for me writing it's this. It's crazy, right? It's a 48-hour day, you know, you it's go It's hanging over lap. you, too. You're like, oh, and you're supposed to do four, they said, you're going to write this? I went, of course. Yeah, went, yeah. Yeah, you know, four, how are you going to do it? Well, four hours a day. Yes, I oh, called yeah. a couple writer friends that are legitimate writers. Right, exactly. But these are like smart, real smart. It's their job. Super smart lady. They do it for a living. Yeah. They sit there. They have their back arts. They got support. They got carpal tunnel machines. Yeah. It's almost like they're Stephen Hawking. They got every <laughs> contraption to, so that nothing hurts on them. Yeah, yeah. They get massage teed up. I'm like... Oh my God! I'm just taking Excedrin. What medications in the house? How am I going to stay up and not get addicted to anything? Yeah. I can't drink. You can't. You can't do anything. You have coffee, but then your 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 uh, emotional you side shut down. Right. So then you just oh, we'll just churn it out. And then because I forgot to write four hours a day for a couple months. Oh sure, and you're just looking at blank pages too. You're like, oh, you stare there, and then you go to another environment. Yeah, and then you jerk off. I did that. You couldn't even read my screen. I mean, it just looked like it was just gooping down. It looked like the beginning of a James Bond That's movie. That's something, but you can't sell that. You can't send that to the you editor. You can. You can these days. It depends <laughs> on what company you're with. There are companies that would go, you got a screen full of goo. I will. I want your book. Yeah, Saget goo. <laughs> I want your monitor. Yeah. Um, but I, uh, I I really started to love what I was writing, and, and but I was outlined with this guy. I wrote the whole thing. You wrote the whole thing of your yeah. both. But of there them. is it's weird. It's there. There is this weird um, element of discovery when you write that you can't have when you think or when you talk because you have a little more control. And you start pumping things out, and you're like, wow, that's pretty, huh? And you chase and it's that not thing. A, it's not a screenplay. No, nope. and it's not anything from it's the not heart. Yep. Yep, and so, it's per, it's a diary combined with a stand-up idea, but it's not right. Well, well, if you're talking it's more about this, it's this exactly. Kinda. And if you're talking about death, and you're talking about heavy things, and you're talking about these elements of your family, and you're also pacing it out with show business stories with people that everyone knows, so you got a personal story, and you want it to be have laughs. So yeah, I put laughs on every page, and I also found that I it made me go, why isn't my stand-up like this? <laughs> Because it's so conversational, and yet it had observations that about relationships, about just how I look at the word fame. You know, yeah. just where I look at celebrity, it, it, just look at people, look at why people are cruel to each other. How do you look at the word fame? Well, I really hate. I think celebrity is the c word. I mm. think that is the worst thing that our culture. You've been places where you'll hear someone a showbiz thing with someone say, "Well, have our celebrities over here," and it's like you're. It's just people ingrandize that yeah it's just a, you're like a product here's our here's our new line i mean they make famous people that don't have any talent people uh, it's worse than it's ever been which yeah. is all done one giant talent show where it everybody was, wants they, to be famous they yeah. don't want nobody right. wants to do anything right well there's a lot of uh there's a lot of channels to be filled on both the internet and the tv there's 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 more opportunity for people with no talent to be doing something and they, now. It's, it's an, and there are more people and there's more and they're just unbelievably untalented yeah it's pretty, and i can't watch that much you were we were talking before we started this that you don't watch very much i don't i don't know where people have time i don't i don't either i go what'd you watch that oh my favorite show you know you gotta see it yeah, like, when, when did you Woody watch harrelson it? and matthew mcconaughey you gotta watch it. it's only eight episodes <laughs> 
oh, here's House of Cards. I have the whole, all of it. You just got to download it on Netflix. I'm like, I really would like to. <laughs> but, but I really got to write. Yeah, 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 get no time. So what what did you come up with, though? Because I talk to, to people about death all the time, because I think when I turned 50, I was in denial about certain things. And now that I'm about halfway into 50, it's sort of looming in my mind. Uh, you you know, have a fear of it? I, I don't. I, I have a fear of the transition. I, I know that, you know, I know that it's going to happen. Uh, I think that if I really think about it, the, 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 the difference between being and not being is, is a, little, uh, a little daunting for me. I, I don't know if I'm terrified. I imagine, I guess I just hope it happens quickly. I hope that for you also. Well, thank you, Bob. Maybe we should just shoot each other. <laughs> right at the end of this. Yeah, on, no, on no. The... Let's wait a couple years. Okay. I mean, you're doing really well. I want to see how the book does. Yeah. <laughs> I, I really had strong feelings about it because you went through a lot of metaphysical stuff in my 20s. I went to a real woo-woo shit. I, went to, I was married then, and I went to past life therapy. Really? Yeah. I sat there and kind of went, oh, I was a pharaoh when I was 14. And how was that possible? I just, who knows? I That's just what sat you were, there. a pharaoh? They I told guess. you that? Well, then I started getting into drugs, so I was fine after that. <laughs> so then that went away. Yeah. Any search. Yeah. And um, I, I, my outlook now is to not be afraid of it. I think that's, I would say 80% of my life, this is a stupid thing to say for a mortal, but a mortal, what am I, I don't know, I'm going to be a witch next week, uh, <laughs> is to not fear, if you cannot fear death, you've, or, or, or just stop thinking about it for yeah. a while, which yeah. seems to be where you're kind of at. Yeah. You can give some thoughtful moments to the things that actually mean something to you yeah put it put it out there you know what i mean try to be try the the output should be more good than bad when you're on a plane yeah i read your tweets yeah i know when you're suffering <laughs> i know that this i mean twitter has changed <laughs> since i saw you last time here yeah yeah it's changed everything yeah i know that there are people with smelly balls in your flight i know that there's everything we all know about what we go through yeah and it's i just want i want everyone to be involved i want you, people to be, and the guy in front of you knows it sometimes yeah, yeah, i had a guy yeah. next to me go you just talked about me on twitter oh really yeah and i had to take it down while i was this is like five years serious? ago yeah it was terrible what, what he you, was uh, overweight and he was pushing onto my hand rest and uh, he smelled like balls. I have a yeah. problem when people smell like balls. Yeah, it's bad. My, you know, mine have been bad, and I really try to uh, not have that ball smell. When I, I get well, it. I you know if if the ball smell gets to the point where you're smelling it, you know, and it's if it's you, yeah, that's and bad. it's if it's yours and it smells foreign, yeah, yeah, you need to go for maybe a checkup, I yeah, think yeah, surgery, yeah, yeah. Could, <laughs> or if it's your breath. God, I smell balls. Oh my God, it's my, my breath. breath. What does that mean? It means you had balls in your mouth. That's probably. right. So but, the, the, that I, the the fear of death was something that that's not what the book's about really. <laughs> but but you but you talk about real shit. But you also talk yeah. about you know uh, hanging out with Rickles, hanging out with Dangerfield, coming up in the comedy scene. Because I don't think people really that everybody really realizes that you have this you know long and profound history in stand up. That you were 37 there seven years. Yeah, I mean you were there at the beginning of the comedy story. You started with all the guys and before on um, that first boom, that yeah. crazy one. And you for, you know before uh, America's Funniest Home Video or Full House <laughs> or everything else, you had a very specific style that you still have that I think a lot of people you know may not know. It's interesting when you say you know I want to do more you know long form thoughtful thing because it's like the, the exact opposite. Stand up was I do. would just hit with all these things. I take out the jokes were like I have the brain of a German shepherd and the body of a 16 year old boy and they're both in my car and I want you to see them and they had it was basically Groucho combined with a run on sentence of 
free association, and there was no middle steps. Right. It was it was packed. You it was, know, I, you, I, it, I needed just, to get I needed to get it done. Yeah, yeah. And, and I it, wanted to make them laugh as hard as I could. I still have that, but now I do stories. Now I'm becoming more of a, I guess, a man. Right. <laughs> well, maybe you have more to say. I mean, I think when you write jokes and you just write jokes for joke's sake, you're not concerned about saying something. You're concerned about the joke. You want the joke to do well, and then your stage persona is: are, is the guy likable, or, or is he is he yeah. too handsome? Yeah, yeah. Are his abs too good? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm, well, what what is the most difficult thing for you to write about them, and the most powerfully funny thing in there? The, it's ironically, the the suffering, all the suffering. Like a chapter called "Surviving Stand Up." There's a chapter actually about Full House because I had to write about it because I wrote a book and yeah. the editors wanted a big part of your life. And how long were you on that show? Eight years. And how long were you on Funny Video? Funny uh, eight years. See, that's the weird thing. Th- I did. They were simultaneous. That's a hell of a life investment because, you know, you have a life outside of that, but that that's who you are. That's your gig. That's a long gig. And that was a, and then it stopped, and then I just directed stuff. But that isn't, it's not really a career thing. It, yeah. it's, it's part memoir, but it's really about death and comedy and how they intersect. That's well, what I set out to do. What was the hardest thing to write in there? The hardest chapter that I couldn't get through was my two. The loss of two great women is the chapter. Yeah. So it's and I would say things throughout it. And so one sister died at thirty four of a brain aneurysm, and another one died of scleroderma, which is my one of the things I'm, I love to yeah. be part of the scleroderma research foundation. I'm on the board. Uh, she was forty seven, and she had this rare disease. So that was really hard to write because I I don't I don't ever want to relive any of it again. And I had to. In writing a memoir kind of thing, you do your life story a little bit, and I do it in moments. I was going to say spurts, but that's about two thirds through because it's a dirty book. <laughs> it, but but it was really hard because I didn't want to go through it again. So right. I found myself missing them a lot, yeah. and I went through the pain of their death, which was untimely yeah. and painful for both of them. Yeah. Uh, and so that, and then there was another chapter after that where um, my ex-wife almost died giving birth. But that was the reason Paul Provenza came to my apartment. Yeah. Uh, and that was the reason that I, the aristocrats ever happened because of a gallows humor I had. I'm not not the reason the movie happened, but the reason I was in it. Right. And interviewed for it was um, th- there was a gallows humor that was just built into my life that just came from how our family dealt with everybody dying. Yeah. Well, I think and, I think with comedy in general that you know we if you're wired that way you're preemptively you know in sort of a survival mode to 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 alleviate suffering or you know pain or the the idea of rejection i mean the tool of comedy if you're funny and you hang that's the, that's the other thing i realized about when you hang around comics which we have our entire lives yeah it's and, it, it, i've figured out it's family to me but it's in it, a weird thing. well it's amazing because you're always hanging around fucking brilliant people like even like even guys nobody knows it, it is so much better yeah and it's so quick <laughs> and you know you, there's nothing that, that that's off off limits no you, and they you know, know you and they go on and then you say things you're like i don't yeah, think you should say that yeah. <laughs> but so like so it's in a way this you know this thing saved our lives you know it saved yeah. our sanity it's you know the comedians have saved my life over and over again it's just about comedy and uh, it's called dirty daddy so the people i had to get it to was my ex-wife my three kids yeah and i've gotten uh, <laughs> approval they're very proud of me it's important to get them to sign off on it they're not even kidding yeah no it's I like know. i mean it's dirty daddy it's like, yeah and i'm doing all these signing things i got the 92nd street y i'm doing one in la i've gone to chicago and san francisco and got all these little events yeah and i i don't want any hard 
feelings out there with anybody that I'm yeah. related to directly. Yeah, well, that's good. I, I, I wasn't as cautious with my book, but uh, me and my dad will be okay, maybe. <laughs> Do you want me to talk to him? Yeah, maybe. I don't know if it'll work. You know, I, I have a hard time with it. Maybe you'll have an easier time I'll with call it. him when we're done. Well, thanks, Bob. And, and, you know, good luck with it, man. I hope it sells well. Thank you. It's nice to see you here. Nice to see you. Today is Karen Kilgariff Day. I could look that snake right in the eye. Right in the eye. Comfortable. I saw the most toxic snake in the world. They had like 12 cobras at that joint, man. The most toxic snake in the world in one bite has enough venom to kill 10 men. That is overcompensating. And he's a little snake, so that makes sense. You know what I mean? Sometimes the, the fellas that are the shortest got the biggest personalities. <laughs> Come on, Marin. You making dick jokes about venomous snakes? Yes, I am, inner Marin. That is what I'm doing. Karen Kilgariff uh, is hilariously funny, and uh, she's, she's writing these insanely cutting humorous songs she's going to play some of those at the end she makes a brief appearance in uh in the next season of Marin. and uh i've always loved her uh we've gone through some times where i thought we were tense together but i think she was just tense with herself and it was a is a joy talking to her and i am going to share that conversation with you Karen Kilgariff. Two Fs. I know. I don't know. For all these years, I thought it was Kilgariff. Did you really? Kinda. <laughs> That's heartbreaking. I apologize. It's been you 31 years. Do you want to leave? Yes. Has it been 31? No. 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 I can't remember. I, I'm trying to think when Although I first Although it met. has been. It's since the early 90s. 91 or 92. Nin- so that's whew, like 25 years. Yeah. 25. Isn't that crazy? Yes. How long have you been doing it? 90 since what? I was 20 since 1990 that's crazy I know no because okay so I moved to San Francisco in 92 right so that was it yeah around then that's right when I was first started there so I would be the opener when you would headline remember at yeah, the improv I do the old improv downtown yes did you grow up in the Bay Area yes I grew up in Petaluma by the beach no we were right above uh, it was like 30 minutes up over the Golden Gate Bridge was it horrible? No, I loved it. Oh. Yeah, it was nice. But it was very rural. You know, I grew up out in the country. Where Petaluma was, is that, uh, what horrible thing came from Petaluma? Polly Klaas. Oh, yes. Polly Klaas. Was kidnapped out of her bedroom during a slumber party and murdered. In Petaluma. In Petaluma. Wasn't uh, the, uh, the, the guy who killed his wife in the boat from there too? What was that guy's name? The Scott the Nicole Peterson? Nicole Kidman movie? No, 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 Scott no, no. Pe- that was Modesto. Okay. Very similar feel. Yeah. We're a little bit cooler because we're closer to like Marin. <laughs> right. Modesto's like s- serious central California cow town. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I have friends from there. Polly Kloss. That was her name, right? Yeah. Polly Horrible. Class. Class. Yeah. Hor- like nightmare. Nothing like that ever happened. Nothing how, ever how, happened in my town. So how was, old were you? I was in San Francisco. I was like 20. Oh my God. Yeah. Like, did your family know her family or anything? I she Her mother was my boss at the last job I had before I moved Come to San on. Francisco. I swear to God, it's a tiny town. That's yeah. horrifying. I know. It was very uh, it was very surreal. No one kind of knew what to do. The, the craziest story out of that that I love is that happened on her. At, it was like a slumber party at her house. The next day, they told her junior high class. I think she was in seventh grade. They, had, they made that announcement, and then they passed out flyers to the kids 
of like, have you seen this child? And all the kids got up and ran out of class and ran out into the town to start putting them up everywhere. My sister told me that story and I just started sobbing. I was, it was just like, that's how everyone felt. And the first time I went home from the city yeah. uh, to visit my family, there was purple ribbons everywhere because that was her favorite color every car had them every store had them it was like it took over the town it was really crazy how many how many people live in that town um when i was growing up there it was like probably twenty five thousand, but i think now it's closer to 50 because of the dot-com boom it's still insane that you know you worked for her mom yes at what where were you where'd you work for her (laughs) it was a children's clothing uh catalog called bio bottoms where they made like cotton diapers that you could reuse Uh and i was like a a phone operator taking people's orders oh so it was a big thing it was like it was a company it was and her mom started that company with her friend like in their basement and then it like you know became a big a big company it's so sad it's terrible so wait how many so did you come from a big family over there um well i only have an older sister but then my i my father is one of nine Oh my God! So I have a lot of cousins and aunts and uncles. Kilgariff is that like Irish? Or yes, it is. Yes, like full on Irish. Completely Irish, yeah, yeah. Do you go to Ireland? I have been, yeah. Did you track down relatives? No, there's a town called Kilgariff. Oh yeah, maybe that's in it. Ireland. My family was from Longford and Galway. Yeah, but both my grandparents left when they were teenagers to come over here. So your your parents are first first generation. Yeah, that's great. It is really great. <laughs> do your grandparents... I have a lot of white did, pride about it. Did they speak with a, a brogue? Yes. They did? Yeah. I don't, I, I, that makes sense to me. Yeah. I, I feel like, uh, I don't know, you seem close to uh, uh, an Irish spirit. I'm, that... <laughs> I think it's the storytelling. Uh-huh. I think because you saw me in my the height of my drinking probably as well. Yeah, you were kind of uh, boozy. I was super boozy. Yeah, but cute. You were cute. Really? Yeah. Not, not the gross kind. No, no. You, I, I, my recollection is, uh, you were you were a force to be reckoned with. You, you know, you weren't like, oh God, this is sad. She's drunk again. It was more like, ugh, here, here she Careful. comes. What's going to happen? <laughs> is that possible? That's absolutely the truth. Yeah. And you, uh, did you date Dave Anthony during the drinking? I sure did. Yeah. Oh, so we the, did some serious drinking together. So you, I mean, I can't even imagine that brawl we, I of don't, a relationship. It was very exciting. It was terrible and wonderful. Um, he was like my first real boyfriend. Boyfriend. He is terrible and wonderful. Yeah, that's a fine way to describe. Him. He's all. He's all things. Yeah. Um, and he's hilarious, but but also it was very hard to be like a, an up and coming comedian with another up and coming comedian. I think that's a terrible fucking combination. I was married to a comedian, but I was not an up and coming comedian. Which Mishna. Oh, okay. When she was doing comedy, it's no good. No, there's no way it's good. No, you can't have two lunatic narcissists competing like, com- with each other. Competing. That's yeah. what it was. Yeah, and there's no way not to compete. Right. And you don't want it, you don't know whether it's okay to work on the other person's jokes or say anything. Right. Because then it just leads to a fight and someone's going to get more work than the other person. It's fucking horrendous. It's ho- so horrible. And I kind of had that thing like I'm the I'm in com- comedy was so hard for me in the beginning because you have to book yourself. You have to call people and try to sell yourself. Yeah. And that was so disgusting to me, that idea. I remember Patton giving me a speech about it when they were like, you need to call Rooster Chief Feathers. You need to call Blue Bull. And I was just like, 
that's never gonna happen. Like I will, I got my sets at the improv, and sometimes I do the the punchline. And the zoo and was still around. The zoo bit. was around, but I never called them. That was one of the places where I offended people at the zoo for not calling and trying to get on. So then, when Patton and Brian did one of their shows together, they wanted me to be on it, and whoever ran the zoo was like, "No, she hasn't passed our muster." Tracy Forster. I guess so, and uh, I didn't know I. I just didn't like that element of it seemed totally pathetic and disgusting to I just, me. I just wanted no part of it. I just like that Patton was like the organizer. The uh yeah. you know, the guy he he had always he, had a, he always had his shit together. He really kid. fucking did. He wrote every day. I he used to like I used to see his notebook and I'd just be like, My notebook is just like kind of like three, three song lyrics written out and some Chinese uh, <laughs> food orders and directions somewhere. Yeah. No jokes ever. Well, we'd all just gotten there. That was 92 that I got there. And Patton got there within, we got there within weeks of each other. Yeah. And Blaine. Yep. We were also stoned constantly or drunk That's constantly. That's true in San Francisco. Always. And you kind of, which was great. It was like very luxurious way of living. But, <laughs> but we were sitting in at a party in that apartment one time and there was people everywhere and Blaine and I were sitting on this bed next to each other and just completely stoned out of our minds. And he turned to me and he handed, he had been playing with two staples. Yeah. And he turned to me and handed me the staples and he had bent them together into two interconnected little squares. Yeah. And he goes, here, I made you some hydrogen. <laughs> And then I started laughing, couldn't <laughs> stop. Like, I thought I was going to have a nervous breakdown because yeah. it was the greatest thing anyone had ever done. He's it was like... Very clever guy, that he's guy. He's very genius. <laughs> and it was like this very sweet, like, it was like a little Valentine of geniusness. Oh, stoned moments. Oh, drugs. Let's just do a whole podcast <laughs> called Stoned Moments. I think How they touching have that. they were. Doug Benson will sue you. Oh, that's true. Where, when did you start, though? When did you decide this was a thing? Were you Was the intent to be a singer or songwriter or to be a comedian? Comedian. In, I started in 1990 in Sacramento, where where Brian also started. Brian Posehn started there, too. At that punchline? Uh, no, that wasn't there yet. It was before that. Andy Kindler was the first comedian, I ever, like real comedian I ever met, because yeah. my friend was a waitress at Laughs Unlimited, and she was like very casually dating Andy Kindler. Really? Yeah, and that was right when I had like very first started. It's hard for me to picture Andy Kindler as like a, you know, sort of like a dog, you know, like a dude that... Had uh, dating and was casually right. dating someone casually on the road. Well, it's that was his. You know, he's like very charming. He didn't do it dog style. He did uh, it like I'll be your boyfriend every eight months when I come through town. Uh huh. It was that kind of thing. So all right, so you started at Laughs Unlimited. No, I well that was the first real club I ever played. They had a comedy contest there. Uh, that I think Brian Posehn was also in, and Vernon Chapman was in it. That's People came one. up yeah. from San Francisco to be in it. Um. I can't remember who else. Isn't it interesting the 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 career paths that people have had, the ones that yeah. had, that have had them? Yeah, <laughs> yes, that's Wild. yes. The fact either they've had them or they haven't, and then the when they do, what happens? Like Vernon Chapman is, I think, has done amazing, amazing this, shit for himself. Yeah, he's just like this odd genius for hire. Yeah, and then we all made the rounds and did the little TV shows and stuff together. I remember, mm -hmm. like, what shows? Do you remember? Well, I remember other people getting like the MTV. Half hour? Half hours. I was, that was like, those guys were like, well, you were, I would say you were like a junior or senior to my freshman. That's right. how I always look at it. So I wasn't, I never even thought of that I would ever be on that because that was like for the I sophomores I remember and the show. Yeah. I do. It had some concept to it. 
Yes. Like it was hosted by a head or something that was John Bowman. It was, but I remember it. It was not. Oh, it was fuck. a big deal to everybody. That's all I remember is like everybody was like, "Am I going to get it or not? Why right. am I up for it? Why? Who got it? Sure, Everyone's pissed." Sure. Yeah. Like that's back when stand up was really cutthroat competitive that still happens with premium blend and shit i think yeah that's true but i think everyone's so much nicer to each other these days there's so much more communal shit going on there is it's uh, disconcerting I, it just doesn't suit my personality you know what i mean like i really it's i'm so much better as it's if it's asshole to asshole i can well, <laughs> you know I'm not like that but no i know what you mean <laughs> but you know the territory it's like we're competing exactly i'm pretending to like you right. you don't deserve that Right. I got my dukes up. Bring it. I'll fucking destroy you. Oh, everyone's trying to be nice now? I don't know what to do or yeah. say. It's uncomfortable. I got to go. It's very odd. I'm going to stay in my house. That's going to work better for me. When did you move to LA? In 94. And why? Because I got an agent. I got yeah. um, Margaret Cho gave my tape to her agent. And did her you open agent. for Cho? Yes. That yeah. was your deal? Yeah. I think I remember that. Yeah, she did. Like when she started doing colleges, she brought me on on the road with her. But you didn't play music then, did you? No, no. Just straight stand up. Yeah, You're kind of tough, brassy, boozy stand up. Boozy in your face. Yeah. Uh, opinion based. Um, <laughs> you know how we used to do it. Yeah. I'd really, I had a really distinct point of view that I mm -hmm. couldn't figure out now. If you, if I had had to. Do you? Are you don't know? You looking back on it, you don't know what it is. Well, it it used to just be like. The, my point of view was, fuck you, and here's something funny I said one time, essentially. <laughs> it was kind of boiled down to that. It was really charming. Really, People really sounds, enjoyed sounds it. Warm. <laughs> sounds really warm. It's a fun time. Yeah, you yeah. go pay $50 and have yeah, some girl yeah. kind of fuck you. sneer at you yeah. and tell you how you're stupid. Yeah, you're stupid. This happened to me. Yep. That's, no, that was that's it. That's how I remember it. That yeah. was the feeling I got. Yeah. And you probably liked that a little bit, I would think. I did. I didn't never. I never thought we really uh, essentially got along. Oh, I didn't think we didn't get along. But I don't feel like like. Do you remember any fun times like your hydrogen moment with Blaine Capatch with no, Mark Maron? No, not you and I. No, exactly. but you. But, but for me, it was because you were a senior. It seemed like you just had better things to do. I wasn't going to try to. So that was my other thing. Is like I would never try to make someone like like me or hang out with me. That uh -huh. would. That's. That's that would never. And you're probably locked down with with Anthony, man. How long right, did that exactly. go on for? Um, until I moved to LA. So it was a while. Yeah, two years. You guys could have been just a, a, an Irish disaster together. Oh fuck, we were an Irish disaster. <laughs> uh, there was one party where we started. I started drinking during the day. He didn't. Yeah. Me and do you remember Susie? She was the. Uh, she used to work in the booth at the Improv. She had really long hair. Yeah, kind of. And uh, I think she had a nose ring. She's uh -huh. great. And she, Susie was Dave's roommate. Uh -huh. Susie and I went, started drinking vodka, and then we went uh, thrift store shopping. We got ourselves dresses for this party. And by the time the party started at like five, we were blind drunk. I mean, just <laughs> annihilated. And I, they were trying to barbecue on the roof. Mm -hmm. And everyone was positive I was going to fall off the roof. So I'd be like, fuck you, stop yeah. trying to make me stand in a certain... And then I'd just go walk, you know, like right on the edge of like a three-story yeah. San Francisco yeah. apartment building. Yeah, smart. Yeah, and then this fighting started. All of Dave's friends were there. It was like it was like something out of Shameless, where they'd be like, "Don't include that. It's not even funny, and it's depressing. Just that's not entertaining." <laughs> Sad drug girl. Yeah. Well, what about your your folks? Were they be on, on board with the whole? What'd your dad do up there in the uh, Petaluma? He was actually a San Francisco fireman. Really? Yeah. So he commuted in. Did he sleep at the firehouse sometimes? Mm-hmm. Did yeah. you Did you go to the firehouse as a kid? Uh huh. Did, you, did they have a pole? They did. 
<laughs> we weren't allowed upstairs though. So oh, right. You That's where the men are. That's exactly right. Uh-huh. As man's area. Yeah. Which was fine with me. I don't know. Irish fireman, I like it. Yeah. It seems to make sense. Yes. Did, did he come from a tradition of firemen? Uh no, my grandfather was a bricklayer. I mean, it's just old school San Francisco, you know? So yeah. my I'll, like I have another uncle. My uncle uh Martin taught I think he was a fireman for a while, then he started teaching at the fire college. So most guys that are firemen in San Francisco had my uncle Martin as a as a professor. Really? Uh-huh. Then <laughs> and uh my uncle Mike is a plumber. My uncle John uh was an electrician. And they all built my parents' house that they live in now. Like uh-huh. when my parents moved, they basically all These are solid, practical, you know, crafts. Yes. Professions. This is uh, this Specialists. is what the middle class used to be. Yeah. Yeah. They were yeah. kind of the they had real jobs, blue tangible. Co- blue collar. Blue collar, yeah. Blue collar, but uh yeah. Did but, your dad see a lot of action? Um no. He told a story that's kind of awesome. One time he went into he had to use a Scott Air Pack, yeah. which was very new at the time, and he didn't really know how to use it, but he had to go into a building that was burning that was had just been built, and he got in, and he was walking around, and whatever, I don't know, basically the the important part of the story is that he got to a spot he couldn't see anymore, and he was like, oh, forget it, I'm just going to take this thing off, and he was standing at the top, uh, top of a flight of unfinished stairs. Oh, my God. So if he had taken another step, he would have fallen he would have been killed essentially in this fire so that was like that's pretty much the most exciting thing i think that ever happened to him yeah and other than that he he worked in chinatown uh-huh so there was a lot of they just had to do a lot of inspections of like right you it can't looks, cook that in here yeah because <laughs> this is an apartment building <laughs> yeah, yeah yeah exactly you can't have 17 families yeah. in this one room there was a lot of that <laughs> underground stuff that he would oh, really? you know yeah like tunnels connect apparently chinatown is like a honey a beehive of you don't even know what's going on because it's all I've heard there's other tunnels in the in the new in that Cobbs building like down in uh, on the wharf and not the original Cobbs but where the where the one is now right there's all kinds of weird shit down there yeah yeah I know there's tunnels all over San Francisco yeah I don't know what for for what reason usually it's for booze uh, prohibition area era stuff I don't know what was going on in that city it may have been like the you know in the 1849 when the gold rush and all that I mean this is the kind of thing that I think normal adults would have read a book like right. it's their city and their I'm very interested in this but I would never like look for a book no, about it's, it's it and read it. to more fun to speculate just <laughs> let's I make heard up a thing. reason yeah I uh, heard it was mole people yeah me too and I hear yeah. that they're still there <laughs> and occasionally people see them. The last one that came out was in the late 60s. <laughs> I mean, you can't believe Paul Cantor. Because he's on drugs. Exactly. Mm-hmm. But what? But you're, you you do know from relatively credible sources that there's some shit going on in Chinatown there's that no some, one knows about. Yeah, there's some serious shit going some on under, there. Some underground stuff? <laughs> yep. All right, well, I guess we're going to have to leave it at that. I mean, maybe someday we'll learn more. I don't know. So you don't drink anymore? I don't. Really? No. Like, burp, Nothing? Well, I in 1997 I started having seizures, and yeah, and uh, from drinking, from drinking, and also I was on speed for a while. Oh yeah, trying to get down to a nice Hollywood fighting weight. Were you obsessed with the weight? Yeah, thing. Yeah, yeah, that's always been a big thing. So you're taking speed and drinking. It's oh, a great yeah. diet. The, the speed. Well, there's no time for eating after yeah, all that. Yeah. Like crank or like old style speed. Uh, diet pills, like oh. like prescription pills, but they were on par with like the str- the best cocaine you've ever had. It yeah, was like, it was like getting up and doing 
six. No, it was more because it was like, I can't explain it. It was like, um, it was like a cocaine high and it lasted for 12 hours. Right. You're just kind of like really tense. Like Benzedrine or something like that. You don't even It was, well, it was Fen. It was Fen Fen without the second Fen that used to bring you down. They, they used to give it as a cocktail. I remember when everyone was doing that for a while. The Fen Fen. Everyone thought it was the answer, but all it was doing was basically making your heart race so that your body would just kind of like process calories really fast. Uh-huh. And then everyone started getting like heart problems and dying. <laughs> yeah. And then they made it illegal. So <laughs> I had it like when it very first came out before the downer cocktail. Right. So it was just the up all yeah. day long. So there's a lot of like smoking and staring out the window yeah, and not yeah. blinking. Yeah, cleaning, <laughs> some cleaning. Oh, a lot of cleaning. Yeah. A lot of folding of uh-huh. shirts, a lot sure. of shopping. Uh-huh. Uh, uh-huh. Because I was just, re- I wasn't eating, so then I was just, I replaced it with shopping. So this is when, when you were in LA? Yeah. And you were trying to, what, get on TV? Yeah. And you thought, yeah. And so had you had this weight obsession when you were younger as well? No, up until I moved to LA, I didn't realize how fat I was. <laughs> I didn't, it never really came up to me. I mean, I wasn't, I knew I wasn't thin. Yeah. And I knew that was what I was quote unquote supposed to be, but it didn't bother me as much. And when but I you're got not to the LA, kind of person that, you know, should be 110 pounds. No, because I have, I've, yeah, it looks yeah. super weird. Yeah. I've lost a ton of weight before. And uh, I kind of lo- remember that because you were wearing a plaid skirt. There yes. was a period where plaid skirts were your, your thing, kind of. That's exactly right. That was right in the speed time. Right, yeah. yeah. And I was, and plaid skirts, black tights, boots. Right. And, and, a, and, and, and a baby and, and I remember knowing, like, what what's going on. Yeah. Why does she, she's, like, lost, uh, she's doing that thing. Yeah, I had Whatever to do that it. Is. Yeah. I went and did it. Yeah. It was, it was pretty great in, like, one, <laughs> like, in a 3% slice of the pie, it was great. Yeah. And then the, the whole rest of it was pretty fucked up. So what, what ultimately ended up happening? Well, I was having seizures at night and I didn't know it. So I would wake up with like a really bitten tongue oh or God. like uh, I would wake up on the floor oh and I'd be like, God. that's so weird. I'd, I once had a dream I was a spinner dolphin <laughs> and I was just having seizure basically. So the big, you know, the big uh, climax of that story came when <laughs> I woke up. Well, I woke up one morning and and I was like, got immediately got on the phone and was talking to somebody and I was like, God, I keep biting my tongue and my tongue is so bitten and da, da, da. and I turned and looked back and the wall of my bedroom had just huge spray of blood on it, like this this crazy, and then I just was like, I looked at it and I was just like, I'm not, I can't deal with that, like I, there's no, there's no way. So, <laughs> I don't even know what happened there. You know, you had no idea what. Yeah, I just I didn't know why it happened. It it looked horrible it looked like a mini murder and i there was i had no capacity to deal and this was literally when i was getting up in the morning and walking into my kitchen and grabbing a bottle of jameson's and taking a huge swig like in my mind i knew things were getting really bad that's bad but at the same time like when you're a comedian and you go out every night and drink there's this weird kind of normal it normalizes it yeah we don't live in a normal world it's not a normal environment and you know, we all know people that were worse or more fucked up, and yeah. we just didn't have to answer to uh, anything. <laughs> it was yeah. great. It was yeah. fucking great. So anyway, uh, eventually, Kristen Barrett came and stayed with me, Greg's sister, and she woke up one morning, and I was having a seizure. Like my lips were blue, and I was totally out. So I woke up. I woke up one morning to uh, a couple LA firemen sitting on my bed saying, "Do you know your name? And do you know what day it is?" And get out. And I'm just wearing a Dodgers T-shirt and no pants. And I was just like, "Can you guys?" And they were 
amazing looking, of course. Yeah. You know if it was a dream or... Yeah, it was yeah. very surreal. Someone had called them because you Kristen, were in Kristen, I was like blue-lipped. Like she was... It scared the shit out of was her. Was she sober at that time? Mm, yes. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. So was she staying with you to sort of check in? Was it a mild intervention? <laughs> no. Well, if it was, she didn't do anything because oh, okay. she I, she had just moved to town. So okay. I think she was just like getting settled and figuring out what she so was going to do. So she buzz killed your seizure party with the fire. Yeah, I was having such a great time. And she <laughs> she called the man. Uh, no, I mean, I think it was the, one of the worst ones I'd had because I was actually, I was out for a really long time and whatever. But it, that could have been happening for a while and I just didn't know. Uh, so anyway, I went to the hospital, you know, I had like, it was crazy. It was like, there was no liquid in my body. It was, it was all that shit of like when you're drinking too much and then, um, but the seizure part, they thought it was purely, <laughs> literally a doctor said to me, the seizures are just from alcohol withdrawal. And I said, but I've never stopped drinking, <laughs> <laughs> which is really one of the saddest things I've ever said. You had gotten to that level of uh, alcohol intake that you couldn't make it through a whole night without a seizure? I, well, no, no, no. The seizures were happened when I was sleeping. So That's I what didn't, I, mean. I didn't know. But you were going into withdrawal that quickly well i but that's what doesn't make sense is right. because and here's the thing that that theory doesn't prove out because i still have seizures to this day oh you do yeah i am on medicine that controls them but at any time i've like i had to get my wisdom teeth pulled a couple years ago and the vicodin made me like huh. just throw up and uh -huh. and i couldn't keep my own medicine down and i had a seizure then so i still have them right so it's not uh, it's not it has nothing to do with the levels of right, alcohol right, right. in my system so i think i personally think it's the diet pills screwed something up uh -huh. in my system oh do you think that was the cause of them to this day that's something yes that, wow i do but it's just all theory and like i've gone to a ton of neurologists and all they can do is say like i've had cat scans and stuff and they're like there's no reason that you should be having seizures huh but i but i would do were you working Ye um when this all happened uh, yeah. No, you know what's funny? This was like the weird period in between when I was still trying to act and do stuff and write and kind of after that is when I started writing. For Mr. Show? No, I never wrote for Mr. Show. You didn't? I was just a cast member on it. Yeah, but you're in a lot of things, right? Uh-huh. But you didn't get to write? Mm-mm. Was this before or after that? I don't remember. <laughs> How'd you get in with those guys? Um, Laura Milligan used to have that show at the Diamond Club. Yeah. Uh that she would do, I think it was every week. I kind of remember that. I kind of remember doing that show. Yeah. Is that possible? Yes, I'm sure it was. It was right on Hollywood Boulevard and everybody did it. Mm -hmm. um, and Bob and David- She did it with a band, right? Yeah. Yeah. And Bob and David did their first couple sketches together there. Um, and we also did Dutton Cabaret together. Right. So I just, it was like we, basically from hanging out with Laura Milligan, she was friends with Janine. You know, she was friends with David. She Laura had already lived in L.A. for a couple of years, so she kind of already had that group of friends. All right, so you work with those guys. So what happens? So you go to the hospital, then what do you do? You go to rehab? No. No? It scared it out of me. That was I, it? Yeah, I just stopped. Yeah, nothing. Cold turkey, and now it's gone. No, like, um, I would have a champagne at, like, a wedding or whatever, but my thing is, I just knew in my mind, like, I don't want one drink. I don't want three drinks. I want yeah. 12. Yeah. And that's just, I know that Not about acceptable. myself. Yeah. Well, and, and just if I do that, 
because I, I had a couple of people tell me like you can still drink it's not that big of a deal or whatever but I just knew if the if the problem was with my brain and I was filling replacing the liquid in my brain with alcohol that's bad yeah like anything it's it scared me so badly having those seizures I would do anything to never have them again well, that's good and so yeah it didn't seem like I mean every once in a while I'll, I'll say it when like if I'm at a bar with people or whatever it's yeah. like I would just love to have a pitcher of Budweiser yeah. and drink the whole thing myself yeah cold yeah cold Budweiser yeah so and- yeah actually just scared straight no uh, you didn't do the any system program nothing just, no wow that that is some that is some Irish fortitude. It's for it is fortitude, but then it's also like it's it's attests to the power of how scary it is to have a seizure. It's like dying or drowning. It's yeah. a really uh, horrifying. Do you come experience. from a drinking family? Um, my parents drink, but they were not drunks in right. any way. They're they were they were you know our working class people. They got their stuff done, but they you know my dad always has a Budweiser in his hand on the weekend uh-huh. um, and they enjoyed themselves and they were like they were like 50s cocktailer type uh-huh, of people uh-huh. but my mom had both of her parents were alcoholics uh-huh. and she had a terrible childhood um, so we got definitely got it in our family you it's know wild isn't it how that shit travels yeah it's bizarre sorry right, so you, you get scared straight <laughs> you start eating like a person yes stop drinking were you more productive no the con- <laughs> No, I was never productive before. That's my problem. We well, had some jokes. Yeah, I, I was, you know. And you were funny. You just did that part on my show. That was funny. You were funny on Mr. Show. Oh, that was, I love that part on your show. I got to work with Sally Kellerman. That was Sally. the craziest experience. I mean, that was like, I knew when when I read that script, I was like, oh, it's, I get to be in a scene with Sally Kellerman. But then, like, you're standing next to Sally Kellerman. It's yeah, a whole she's different thing. Huh? She's unbelievable. <laughs> She looks so great on it when we cut it up. It looks so great. Yeah. Because when you're acting with somebody and you take after take, you're like, oh my God, are we getting it? And then like all of a sudden, like, oh my, that's why she's magic. Yeah. Look, look, you didn't notice how great that was. Right. You can't see it. Isn't that the weird thing about shooting stuff? Yeah. It's like what's happening in the room is has nothing to do with what goes on. To yeah. The, it's an important, film. important lesson to learn. Yep. All right. So, but what, so when did you start um, shifting from acting to writing? Right around that time, I mean, there was, I just wasn't getting parts, and I was the worst auditioner in the world. The yeah. worst. Uh, which just kind of goes back to that thing of like, I don't like asking for things or. Like, what happened? Do you have me, like. I just would always be really mad. Like, I would hate the material, and I would hate the people in the room, and they would always look. I just hated it, though. Yeah. I hated it, and it showed. Yeah. More, so many times they'd be like, could you do that again and a little less angry? And I would just be like, oh, I, I didn't think I was being angry, but I just was so angry. <laughs> That's the, I, I know exactly what you're talking about. <laughs> it's just such a frustrating, a frustrating situation to have to walk into a room and feel like you're being appraised and judged. And then to sit outside with you know nine other people, some you've seen on television. Yes. It's just, it's just like the, the mental sort of challenge of the whole process is right. baffling. Yes. And also we were, I mean, our personas were sort of angry. So yes. like that's how we function. Okay, there's people here. Fuck you. Yeah. What? This is the tone I operate at. Yeah. Uh, I don't know why you'd expect me to act differently. I don't act differently. Yeah. And Or I could, but like if you want me to act differently, then you have to write better lines. I think that was when I really had that realization of like every time I got a script, I'd be like, this is so fucking stupid. Yeah. And because I was always reading for the part of the best friend who was either a man eater. It, it was so like a crazy slut or like. It was it was so two dimensional. Everything was just so pigeonholy that I would start. I almost felt like I'd like 
political feelings about these scripts where it's yeah. just like I can't read this anymore yeah. where if, if I'm going in for it that means this girl is only A or B there's never right you know there's never any more to it right and so I think that was the other thing I would come into the room with like I almost wanted to go who wrote this yeah yeah which wanna, one of you I want to see who yeah, thought yeah. they should put this on paper well those sitcoms are always like that I never understand like the, the miracle that those things work ever is just a testament to the character actors that do it that's exactly because right because it's all the same shit yeah just like crappy jokes yeah. one after another yeah and it's that i don't know how I, I don't know how people write that but when you write and the experiences i've had with it you do have to fight the the it's almost like not not second nature but the way television is in your head yeah, it's programmed in there you know what the words are right. if you're going to write a, a, a conversation where two people are fighting about a bill and it's it, jokes yeah it's stupid yeah well i we had to fight that so hard when we were i was working on my show so like we're not, we can't talk like that people don't talk like that people don't talk like that and also it's not this isn't the show we're not doing some vaudeville here right right exactly i mean it is hard to i mean i I hope you know I love your show. I've told you that before, but I think that's a thing of like getting real life to actually look real and have everybody act quote unquote real. Like we're saying, it's it's such a huge challenge. It's so much harder than it even sounds because it's not reality TV. It's, right. It's like you're there's an there's art. There, there has to be a naturalness to it. Yeah. I mean, even it's it's it, it it still doesn't look quite real. Right. But you know, you, it's just really a matter of not going for the joke every fucking time. Right. And trying to be what's interesting about what really happens in real life between people as opposed to. Uh, the thick, 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 thick. Yeah. I just can't that's why I can't watch sitcoms it's just like no one talks like that and it's not interesting to to watch two people not listen to each other and just riff right like I've <laughs> I've done that yeah I'm, I've had it and with the that. good ones you, the, the only testament to the good sitcoms is you don't notice it right that's what makes it good it's like you, you have enough invested in these characters to where you don't notice that they don't they're not talking like people right or or when those jokes come out then you're like oh my god that is you know like you it feels like a it yeah. feels like a victory in yeah. some way but you're exactly right like i remember seeing when i watched mega malali the first time on will and grace because i think i i think i may have auditioned for that part and i remember my agent doing that thing you know how they used to always do where they're like they want you for this thing yeah and i remember looking at it like there's no way like i'm just an, an, a no name in hollywood there's right. no way they want me yeah, for this ridiculous. part what that usually means is they're having trouble sealing the deal with the person they want yeah and they're just going to run people through yes exactly because uh, you're already on the schedule or yeah. they've already given we the part to something. somebody yeah <laughs> we've got the offices rented yeah let's get people in the, here. the worst part is is when they've already cast yeah and they're still running auditions it's like horrendous the whole thing is like a big zen exercise in like it doesn't matter let it go like right if you are invested or you care you're totally fucked yeah 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 or you believe your management necessarily or your yes. agent, like because they it's all garbage information you, it you is know, it, the, the whole thing is a long shot and they're just looking for a type usually if you're not a name yeah and they they don't care about you at all or your chops they i just, know just want to see if you fit this thing but it also made me realize like the mega malali thing is like talk about fucking chops or a person that can right. make something out of like a right. normal sentence yeah I mean, I remember watching her and just being like, thank God I didn't go even, I think I either didn't go in for it or maybe it was just like one round or whatever, but it was that thing of like, oh yeah, that's someone that, that should absolutely have that part and be seen by a ton of people because that's like real talent. Yeah. Were there people that you, you had that feeling with in general, like growing up comedic uh, heroes or people that were inspiring? 
Um, because you were a stand-up, so I mean, I imagine it was some stand-ups, but I mean, what yeah, I used stuff? to watch. Well, I used to watch Letterman a lot. I used to get up, like, go to bed, and then sneak back up and go watch Letterman. So I watched everybody. I remember seeing Tom Kenny when he was on Letterman with his long tail. Oh, way back, yeah, remember? Yeah, yeah. like Rockabilly. Yeah. Um. Uh. And and I used to watch. I mean, I I have to say in that same way of my uh, obnoxious personality is most of the female comics that I would see like in the 80s when I would watch it I would go I'm funnier than her right because I want I really wanted to do that uh, I really wanted to be a comedian from from a very young age so I always had that thing of like I could do that I could do that it was always that feeling right you know when you do do comedy and you're opening for Margaret I mean whatever you think about Margaret I mean you did have to you know you watch somebody who did an hour Yes. You know, comfortably. Yes. And had her own thing going. I, I still don't know that I appreciated it when I was younger because now when I sit or I do a show or I'm on stage with Conan or I do a live WTF or something, you're just sitting next to a person, a peer, and they're just talking and there's 400 people like laughing and it's sort of like, how does that even, I, I still don't really understand how it works. <laughs> I know. It's so bizarre to me. It is bizarre. And it it's, it's a, uh, because I think. I think it's I, when I watch comedians that are that do well. What I respect and admire is the th- are the things that I don't do or feel I can't do. And one of those is when you just use inflection and tone as as the joke almost. Yeah. yeah. Like um, like there, it's almost that thing of like, and here's the end of the sentence. Therefore, you're going to laugh. Right. It's yeah. that. Yeah. Which I never did. I always just talked like I was talking. Trying but it's to- an innate thing that, you know, it's it's not something I think people necessarily decide to do. It's something you get to know about yourself. Yeah. I, I, I mean, yeah, there's that. Like, and also physical comedy. I'm like, how do they do that? Yeah. They just do that. That's, you know, they, they're that kind of person usually. Right. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Or like uh, people like I love Rory Scovel, who has he just has a tone of in his voice naturally that everything he says is funny. And right. he's not a yeah. lot of times he's it's nothing. It's just how he seems to be approaching life in general. Yeah. I, I'm always jealous of those people. Yeah, like I'm I always know. jealous of the laid back people. It's like yes. I got to work so hard <sighs> to get. To I've got to kill so many demons yeah, just to yeah, fucking show yeah, up you're here. You're just kind of half sweeping through it. Yeah. But it's just a stylistic thing. So, how did you uh, how did you end up with Ellen? That was, I w- so I think it was my second staff writing job was uh, Zach Galifianakis' talk show, the VH1 was, thing. The VH1, yeah. I was part of that move, that VH1 reinvention. Yes, for the when they Never started. Never mind the buzzcocks. They turned their eyes to the young people. Young white people. Young whites. Yeah, yes. which was like, no, not going to. Zach used to call them, it used to make me laugh so hard when they would, the people from VH1 would come to like watch a show or whatever, he'd go, because they all wore Banana Republic clothes, yeah. he'd go, the bananas are here. <laughs> and that was just the perfect thing of like, we've, we're, it's music for us. It's like, we're going to make our station for us. Yeah, and like, it was uh, like. Fred Graver that was the, the guy. But they really chose Zach. That Zach was their poster boy. I mean, he had that dumb hat, right? And you know, he was on buses <laughs> everywhere, right? And they were like, "This is it. We're we're going to hang it all on Zach." And then they canceled it in four months. Well, I mean, they, it was it. They just couldn't turn that sh- that network around, right? It was not you know that wasn't destined to be. But it's a real testament to you and to Zach in general that you, you know, like that's a pretty big hit. But Zach sort of found his way. You found your way. But what a weird kind of you know public disaster that was but nobody really noticed it right if you lived in new york i mean that zach picture was everywhere everywhere and and the show was just like a clusterfuck 
I well, mean, yeah, it was like, you know what it was? If they wanted to do a talk show to turn their network around and make it more than just videos, to give a, to give a talk show to a comic who is like... An absurdist. A complete absurdist yeah. and doesn't like to do anything normally. Right. Like, what a stupid fucking idea that is. Like, I, did, they didn't line anything up in terms of like how stuff... Well, what was the fight that you guys had? I mean, because I know it was a huge space and Zach had a clipboard and there was like nothing... Uh, conventional about it, right? So, was there a constant battle with the with the network? No, they? I think they I think they had no idea what to say, what right. to, what to tell anybody. So there, I don't, but I wouldn't know because I was just a staff writer, so I wasn't really on the inside. I, I think they just thought like it was like they were going to throw it out there and see what happened. And there were some really fun, amazing things like we had the Foo Fighters on, and we had there was some really good bookings. Yeah. But I, I mean that you at that time you didn't go to VH1. That was pre. Oh yeah, you know, before it was, like it was just like it was like Tony Braxton videos. And, exactly. Uh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you know, it, was it was acid wash jeans by the pool. Yeah, it was yeah. crazy. It was. I, I mean, I remember I did some interstitial things. I'm one that's like, yeah, go. They, this will be good. I always hated that advice because I see that my old manager still gives it. It's like you'll just be that guy with the microphone who does the thing, and it's like. That 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 never leads anywhere, right? It's just a quick gig, and I I remember they dressed me up, and I had to do the sort of like facts about Tony Braxton and this <laughs> or that, and I was like, what am I doing? It was like such hell. Like, what is this leading? Like, you you got the idea that it was like this is the deal you have to make, right? Well, that was know. back when it worked the other way. Like this these days, it's so the opposite, where it's like you find your project based on what you do, and that like all all doors are open and right. figure it out. We've got back the power. then. It was like there's four jobs. Are you right. going to be a VJ? Are you going to be a leading man? Are right. you going to be the kooky best friend? Right. Or are you going to write? Well, yeah, as a comic, it was really, yeah. Are you going to get a sitcom? Are you going to host something? Right. Or are you going to write? Are you going to write? Yeah. yeah. Or be, yeah, be a, a bit part on a sitcom. Yeah. And I mean, I, I have to say, picking the writing part, like Zach asked me to write on that and I was so thrilled and it was such a good timing wise. It was like the perfect thing of like, oh God. Some... You were in New York, right? No, no, no. It was here. It was all here? Yeah. And uh, but it was like, oh, yeah, something to do, like a direction to take myself. Uh -huh. And then to be behind the camera, I was like, oh, what a fucking relief. Like it was like six years of stress and anxiety about what I looked like and whether or not I measured up and all that shit. It was just disappeared. And yet I still I got all of the fun and then some because I got to make decisions about what was on the page. Right. There was all these I because I, I think. Like, especially in San Francisco and coming up, the taking the writing path was right. a little bit of a, like a, a concession or a failure or like you didn't make it in these other ways. Yeah, right. So there was were, a, this sort of road warrior kind of like comic, you know, independent. Yes. You know, we do what the fuck we want attitude there. Yeah. 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 So you were kind of like. It means you gave up the stand up. Yeah, you gave up that and you didn't make it like and you weren't whatever enough to right. be like in movies or on TV. Right. It was very much the bronze medal. And so I feared it for so long. And then when I finally did, it, I was like, hey, fuck this. Like, this is exactly what I want to do. Yeah. Uh, for all those other reasons. And the other stuff like that's the heartbreak that kind of comes with being here. It's like n so many things don't work out. Right. The way you think they're going right. to. It, but none of that is the end of the story. And it doesn't necessarily mean you won't get paid. Exactly. That, I mean, once you hit a certain level, it's like, yeah, a lot of things don't work out, but if you're in circulation, you're in circulation. Yeah. 
and you yeah. just keep doing stuff. Yeah. Oh, and then so Ellen's brother uh, Vance was the head writer of that show. I in remember the that guy. Yeah, Vance Jenner. He's super nice, and apparently that's when Ellen had just been offered a her new. I'm saying apparently this is this is really what happened. Um, <laughs> she had just been offered. Uh, an HBO special and so she wanted someone to help her write it mm-hmm. so he gave her my name so literally one day I came home from work from Zach's show there was a message on my answer machine that was hi Karen this is Ellen DeGeneres call me back but she wasn't huge then was she this was this was post uh, the sitcom Anne Heche right post the second sitcom All right, so she basically was... she was like hadn't she had been gone for a while so but she had gotten big shots yes right and she, was a very public personality yeah exactly right it, a famous it, person left me a phone message right it was right yeah, it was crazy. i get it yeah yeah so <laughs> so I, I went ahead and called her back and she's san francisco comic for a while wasn't she yeah she did she lived in the city yeah and her actually I have to say her stand-up was the kind uh, was i can't say it inspired me but i definitely noticed her on you know on all those shows that were all well she was a stylist she had a very specific and unique tone i think i kind of lump her with jake yes i think that her and jake were were sort of similar in in their delivery and their ability to sort of run through long chunks of material with a unique voice yeah and do super weird stuff and and somehow keep you in um yeah she was cool i mean when everything else seemed like very all rita rudner which to me, I did not like. One-liners, yeah. yeah. And just kind of like, this is what a lady's like. Or it's yeah. like, oh, fuck you. We've had that for 50 years. Why like, do we got to identify as ladies? Y- yeah, or just, we know. We, yeah. There's no identification necessary. That's like, you're the picture on the bathroom door. We get it. Yeah. Like, what about something else? Right. So that's kind of what I like. But yeah, so then I just, start, I literally went to her. I feel like I should say, I, I was talking about Jake Johansson. Yes, Jake Johansson. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, another one I used to watch on Letterman all the time. Was he was he still in San Francisco when you were there? No. He was gone. Yeah. Yeah. All right, so all right, so you get this call. Get the call, go to her house, don't bring a pen, don't bring paper. <laughs> Just show up. Uh, Hang like out it's a, a nice bit. visit. We're gonna talk. Yeah, yeah, let's have a visit. Uh, which was funny, like literally at the end, she goes, so next time you'll bring some paper and a pen. I was like, okay, it's <laughs> so stupid. Um, and the, that's kind of a good, like, that's a good uh, picture, microcosm of what it was like, where she just basically, I don't know why, she just kind of took me in of like, you're going to be my writer. And I mean, not to say I don't know why, like false humility or something, but I mean, of all, Certainly not the most professional person in the world. Certainly not the most experienced. Um, but she, I, we got along, and I think she must have well, liked what was my that, ideas. When you do that, when you're, you're one-on-one with somebody who's trying to construct a, an hour of stand-up, did you, she had ideas, and you just sort of brainstorm stuff? Yeah, just like talk through. She had, the thing that was really smart is she had, because she, she hadn't been, like one of the first things she told me is like, the the phone stopped ringing like right. I, no one wants me in their thing anymore so right. it's like she was it was absolutely the aim to reconstruct her career and so she wanted to write an HBO special that would appeal to everybody she felt like there are people who definitely had been alienated by her coming out and her her being gay being such a um, b- such a identifier of right. her as a human being she wanted to kind of reset as like but also remember I'm a comedian and the person that used to like before right. all that um, so that was the 
that was the aim. So it was mostly like, let's just do a ton of observational comedy of like right. everything, anything that bothers you that you see every day. Right. And it all became those jokes about like when something comes in plastic that you can't open, open sure. and cut your hand and yeah. all that stuff. Right. So that's, it was that. Uh-huh. And then <clears throat> that kind of built your relationship. Yep. Yeah. And then, then I went on the road with her. She did. Opening for her? Yeah. Um, and she, while we were on the road, she found out she'd been offered a talk show. So, and then while we were on the road, she offered me the job of head writer. For the first, for the one that's on now? Yes. Or is, was it somewhere else first? This this one? This one, it's, this one's been on for 11 years and I was on for the first five. Yeah. And it's a popular show. Yeah. Yeah. Clearly. It's doing really well. Yeah? Yeah. People love her. Yeah, I think they do. Yeah. But do yeah. you? Um, yes, I do. <laughs> I do. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. But when, <laughs> how did that go? So you'd never been the head writer. No. And, you know, entering that situation where a syndicated talk show, it's daily. Yep. That must have been fucking insane. It was crazy insane. I Everything I did was wrong. Like, I hired my friends as the writing staff, which is a fucking nightmare mistake. Like who? Greg Fitzsimmons. Yeah. Karen Anderson. Uh-huh. Um, Margaret Smith was one of the writers. She was, I, that was not my hire, but I loved her. Yeah, she's she was, great. She's is, where hilarious. She, she lives like in, I think she lives in like rural Illinois. Oh, really? And she's written some books. Uh-huh. She was so hilarious. She was great. So hilarious. But yeah. she w- did not work at the speed of like a daily a daily show writer. She yeah. worked at Margaret Smith Speed. That's kind of what I adored about her is she never, she was Margaret Smith the entire time. Yeah, yeah, it was, yeah. There was no like, yeah, come on, let's all freak out and run along with this speeding bus. It was just like, uh-huh, uh, I'm an, yeah. I have some idea. Well, she's got kids now, I think. She does. She yeah. has two. Yeah. Yeah. Okay, so that's the crew. Yep. There's a couple others. Um, And then just, I had to like learn, I had to go and tell like directors who had been doing it for 30 years, like that they were shooting incorrectly. I mean, I had to do stuff that like was so ridiculous and hard and I felt like such a fraud. Uh It was crazy. It was was amazing. Did it level off though? I mean. It did, but it took like three years essentially. Uh So I kind of just lived in constant anxiety and stress and... And it was the kind of thing I was just talking to somebody about this where especially was a show like that because it was it was launching and um, it took such kind of this monumental effort to do like everything else in my life fell away and I didn't do I stopped doing stand up. I didn't. Laura Milligan was one of the few people that I saw outside of that work. Uh I basically only hung out with work friends. Yeah. Um, And it was like joining a cult. It was just like you're in it completely. She'd started getting all these hosting jobs and all these other things that she would then have us work work on that with her too. So it would just, it ate up my entire life. And that's all I did. And what was she like to work for? She was great. Yeah? Yeah, she really was. She was so good to me the, the entire time up until the strike. And and what uh, yeah what well, what went down? Well, they they crossed the picket line because all of the other daytime shows were still on the air, and d- because they weren't they like uh, soap operas uh, don't have like guild writers I guess or right. don't, they're all producers, 
and then like Dr. Phil that you know we were competing against being a we were a talk show but but it was all written comedy yeah it was like a, <clears throat> a variety show it was, yeah, yeah a regular show a regular show like that a much more like a nighttime show yeah but we were up against you know judge yeah. judy and right. dr phil and right. the view and all those places that were just like oh we can still be on because basically they have writers but they call them producers and they don't it's not like the creative um they don't it's not the same thing so you're in a position now where the show has decided to cross the picket line and you said no. Well, I didn't say anything. I mean, oh. I had to go on strike. So <laughs> yeah. it was just, we kind of all said goodbye, like, oh, this sucks. This is so weird. See you later. And, you know, when I was talking to, like, my EPs were like, we'll call you. And it was all that kind of stuff. And I don't think anybody was prepared for the kind of, like, political action that was about to take place. Like, I know no one had experience. No one knew what was going on. What happened? Well, the the Writers Guild found out that they were the our show was going to cross the picket line. They went fucking berserk. They were just like they they wanted to like they made sure that we that I was always at the center of the like at the strike gate. Um, it was really crazy. We just kind of became the eye of the storm in this weird way of like the show that's doing the worst thing because there were there were other. But you weren't working. No, we were striking. We showed up every day. (laughs) Like, that was the crazy part is our show was mad at us because the guild was mad at them. And they were, it was just this. How was she going on the air without writers? You know, I have, I don't know what happened because I wasn't there, but she, they were going on the air. Right. Okay. I mean, I, I wasn't there. What happened after that? With, with with your relationship with her or, or, oh yeah it was bad i mean i so it was just it was uh they so we got her to stay out the first day so right. karen anderson and i both were talking to her and we were just like you please trust us this is way worse than you think it is right um and so she stayed out the first day she told them i'm not going to cross the picket line and then that's when like they swarmed her i mean i don't actually the affiliates no 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 wga the no 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 the production company right Right. The people that ran the show. Right. I'm sure her people. Right. Like all the big wigs went in and were just like, uh, no, you're doing the show. So I'm. she wasn't comfortable with it, but they basically convinced her like, this is what you have to do. Um, and then that's kind of when the whole like, we are union zealots. Yeah. A story started getting floated. And the next time after that, that I Who, talked your to writers? her. Yeah. Like all of us striking, which right. we had no fucking choice. So you like, became we had to do. Uh, uh, almost like. Uh, an example that so the fight between the fact that Ellen had to go do her show for whatever reason because well she made a choice but she was being pressured you guys yeah you guys as the writers could not work right so this was this was the the narrative yes like she's doing something horrible her writers are doing the right thing and that's that's you know an example that was our narrative like we 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 have to do the right thing like this is we're fighting for we're fighting for, you know, writers' rights and all that yeah. shit. And then their narrative was, you know, we have to ma- we have to do the show and we have to compete and we have to continue. Right. And you guys are. <laughs> it was super weird because any logical person would just be like, "What? We have no choice." Right. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. We're out there, but they it this it almost to me seemed like old stuff started coming up. It was like. Now, because we were kind of the golden children, you know what I mean? Like she had her writers. We were all super close. Yeah. You know, Uh, so suddenly it was just like, oh, this is what I can't. I I feel like I'm actually kind of scared to talk about this because I feel I'm afraid 
uh, I don't think any of the legal shit that I signed back then would still cover this. But right. like, I honestly, I have that weird fear of like these people. I just don't. It was a classic. It was an example of what's destroyed all the unions is that corporate interests were making demands based on the market. And we're like, fuck you. Yeah. You know, do you want to work or do you want to, you know, want to make a point? Ex- that's exactly right. Yeah. You can't you can't stand up for politics. It, she was definitely guilted of like, there's all these people that have jobs. You can't you can't stop their paycheck. Right. You know, they put her in that weird position. Um, and meanwhile, you know, I'm, I the, I think the, the part that fell apart the worst was just that interpersonal connection of like you, nobody needed to be demonized. Nobody right. needed to be like she's the one that's doing all this right. stuff. But there was at one point there was a story in the National Enquirer that I was in about how Ellen had crossed the picket line. There was like a picture of me on the strike line in the National Enquirer. It was the weirdest thing. And I never talked to anybody from the National Enquirer. Like that was not a thing. That's not a thing you do when you work on a show. You sign papers. It's yeah. confidentiality. Right. Um, and I've no. I, there was nothing. There was no story to tell. We were on strike. It was just. It was what it was. And they, the people, the EPs and stuff, found out uh, that that story, and they thought I went to the press. So it was things like that where it's like you've known me for five years, and you think you think I would go to the fucking National Enquirer to talk about this ridiculous situation. It was like it was all that kind of stuff. Ugh. And then by the time it was over, people, everyone was so estranged, and everyone was so angry. And those people had to work for four months. I think it was four months on a talk show with no writers. Like they must have been stressed out of their minds. I mean, it wasn't good. There was a couple monologues I remember people telling me about that were just they weren't monologues. It was her doing weird stuff like going, the writers are on strike, so I'm going to play the bongos type of stuff right. that didn't fly, that was not good. Um, but I never watched it. I was just like, I I honestly felt like at that time, it was almost like an act of God. It was like, I've been here for five years. I've given my all. This really weird thing has happened that would never happen in a million years. It's just like this strange right. thing. I'm out. Yeah. Like, this is my chance to go. And that's, and I just kind of washed my hands of it. Because it was just too, it was really painful. And what year was that? 2007? Uh, it was 2008. Yeah. And, and did that permanently rupture the relationship with Ellen? Yeah. Oh, you guys don't talk at all? No. No. That's sad. It is sad because she was great to me. And all the stuff that I learned on that show was like the reason I had get jobs now. I mean, that was like my college. Mm-hmm. It was like college. It, uh, it was like TV production boot camp is kind of what I've referred to it as before. There was It was invaluable. The people that worked there were really, really uh, smart and great. And everyone was really close. So it was it was kind of tragic. And you did the right thing. I had to. Yeah. And what have you written on since then? Oh, The Marriage Ref 2. Uh-huh. <laughs> <laughs> and I just you. leave it at that. Just The Marriage Ref 2. That's yeah. the only one I want that's to talk about. Tom Papa's show? That was Tom Papa's show, yeah. The second season of The Marriage Ref. Yeah. That's just, that could have been good. It wasn't bad. It was definitely better than The Marriage Ref 1. That's for sure. <laughs> it was way better. But I think that the best thing is, is that you kind of like re-entered the world as a performer and a, a humbled and less angry one. Yeah. <laughs> and you started writing these fun songs. Yes, exactly. Well, that's, I think that's so true. I got, to, I think, uh, I think it was all meant to be because, because not doing stand up was so heartbreaking and I kind of couldn't acknowledge it or deal with it. It was just like, I don't have time. Yeah. It, that doesn't matter anymore. That's not my life anymore. Yeah. 
And the lesson of that is like, I can't do that to myself because right. that's the, it's my whole, that's who, that's what I do. That's what well, you want to, you want to do some songs? Okay. Yeah? Yeah. This first one's about the strike of 08. Is it? No. <laughs> a workman's folk song. <laughs> a populist folk song about the union. my password again I have no idea what it could have been try my old dog's name my birth date I tried one two three four five six seven eight but I guess it slipped my mind cause those little blue words came up every time did you forget did you forget I gave up and I clicked yes why do I pretend whatever I come up with I will just Great. That's a funny thing. I've I've ten songs basically, so I'm always doing. Well, you just record. You just did a record, right? I did. And what's it called? It's called Live at the Bootleg. And it's available. It's an unedited evening of uh, of me doing songs at the Bootleg Theater. And the ten songs. It's the, my ten songs. I actually did nine songs. Then I had an encore, and I had no idea what to do. And Karen Anderson was standing in the back. She's like, "Sing the Christmas song." Oh, and I remembered I had one more song. Thank God. Um, are you writing more songs? Yes. Okay. That's. <laughs> so I make sure. Okay. Do your homework. No, I don't want to meet you for coffee. I don't care where you went to school. I'm not interested in sitting Watching you trying to act cool Just be brave Or go away Either way, it's a-okay 
Wow, that one choked me up a little. Did it really? Yeah. Really? Yeah, I get a. I. I it happens sometimes. <laughs> You've got some feelings in there. No, I definitely do. <laughs> I. I get. I get moved just by people singing. I know, right? Me too. No, I get the same thing. Like, just to me, it's like, oh my, how are they doing that? It's so, you know. And when it comes out like really good, yeah. Like, did you see Twenty Feet from Stardom? Uh. Uh-uh. Oh, you have to see that documentary. It's amazing. But I cried the entire time. What, what's that about? It's about like the great backup singers, oh. the kind of great unsung oh, people great. of yeah, music. Yeah, yeah. And it's like, uh, it's, it's incredible. But there's that one. Um, they have Mary. Uh, I want to say Mary Carey. I can't remember her last name she's the woman that sings uh the rape murder part in mm-hmm. uh that rolling stone song um oh uh brown sugar or, or no 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 uh, um it's rape murder oh yeah it's just, just a uh, uh, give me shelter give me yes, shelter, give me shelter. Uh-huh. they have her they bring her in and she tells the story of recording that which yeah. was like at three in the morning right. she was pregnant in a fur coat with her hair and curlers. They tried someone else. They didn't work. They bring her in and she tells the story and she's like, I just decided I was going to, I was going to give it to him. Like she's like all cocky. Yeah. And then they play this, the isolated track of uh-huh. her singing that. And it's the most incredible singing you've ever heard. It's just like, what's the, it called? 20 feet from stardom. And they have all these people, like all the women from Sp- Phil Spector uh-huh. that like, it's just incredible. Oh, I'm going to watch that. Yeah. And thank you for doing this. It's my pleasure. I'm so happy to do it. All right. I'll talk to you soon. Okay, bye. All right, that's our show. That is it. I feel better. I feel less stressed than I did at the beginning of the show because I enjoyed it. I even listened to that conversation with Karen again as if I were there and I was there and I was able to go back to that and feel the peace and joy that I felt then. Sometimes that's what you have to do when you're anxious. You have to go back to those places in your mind, in your heart that bring you peace if you have any of those. Go pick up the app. The w, and you can get it at the App Store, WTF app. Go to WTFpod.com, pick it up. <sighs> okay. Okay. Deaf Black Cat's looking okay. Didn't see him for a few days. He's doing all right. That's always a sign to me. That guy's fucking doing it. I can do it. DBC and me. Boomer lives! <laughs>